0: Okay, it's day six of reading the Bible in a year. It's the Bible Reading Club. And, hey, I love dis- discussing these uh, chapters with you. Thanks for all the emails and an uh, and encouragement to me to get this thing going. So if you're starting day one, start. You know, it's hard to do things day after day. And I- I'm with you on that. It's hard for me. But I want to be a face to you to encourage you to keep with it, to stick with it, and to get through the Bible. It's worth reading. It's worth investing in because in it, the Bible is like no other book. In it, you get to know God. And you see it through the stories of the people, really, in this first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 16 through 17 is our Old Testament read today. And we're actually are going to be looking at Matthew 5, the second part of Matthew 5 today. But I actually kind of did a review of Matthew 5 yesterday, so I'll speak very briefly about that. Okay, so when we get into 16, we see that the story has moved from the battle with the king of Sodom, where Abram has rescued his nephew Lot... And then he goes out to meet Melchizedek, uh, who is a king of righteousness in Jerusalem. He's a picture of Jesus. If you look at Psalm 110, and also Hebrews 7, it talks about uh, how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, He he is not. So that's a a fascinating point right there in Genesis. I I neglected to talk about that yesterday. As you get into 16 and 17. Notice this the big tension for Abraham is that he's too old. He's ninety-nine and his wife Sarai is ninety, and they're too old. They laugh at this idea that, that Abraham's gonna be the father of many nations. Abram's name means father, but it's the most ironic name of all time because he doesn't have any children. So what are they gonna do? They decide to come up with a plan. Sarah, the wife, she's inventive, she's gonna come up with a plan. So she presents her servant, uh, her maid servant, Hagar, and she says, Go into my maid servant, uh, embrace her, and then uh, make love to her and uh, though she's not your wife, and that's the way we're gonna make this happen. And sure enough she gets pregnant, Sarai gets jealous, you know, runs her off, and then God goes out and finds her and, and brings her back and says, You're gonna you're gonna have this baby and you're gonna name him Ishmael. And, and so, because God sees. This is the situation here. So if you're looking at it, God's heard your reflection and has seen you. That's why you're going to name him Ishmael. God hears. He hears your cries. So God follows her. He hears her cries. He knows her and he loves Hagar well. And Hagar returns and raises Ishmael. And Ishmael is going to become this great great nation as well. He's going to be at war with, with other nations. So this is a prophecy about him. Well, And that explains a lot, because a lot of these guys are going to be warring against God's people later on. But God shows great mercy on Hagar. Now, if you turn to 17, you look at it, and this is the covenant of circumcision. So circumcision, you know, like, what's the deal with circumcision? Circumcision is this setting apart, uh, you know, and so I'm going to do this to, I'm going to become your God, okay? Your God, and you're going to be my people. And this is the promise of the covenant. Christ is always about uh, identifying with His people and saying, "I'm yours and you're mine. We're one. We're one. So, so I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's this idea of union with Christ, and so we're gonna we're gonna be so close. We're gonna put a mark on you that's gonna distinguish you from others because you're mine and I'm yours. We're in a relationship here. This is not some Christianity's not some religion where you're following somebody's example, and or you might be following some rule code that someone produced. Well, Christianity is a relationship. When you open up the scriptures, you're reading not just a book, but you're meeting with God and you get to know him in this in this word. So so that's that's a, a real distinctive of Christianity is it's a covenant relationship. It's like a marriage relationship. In the same way you wouldn't just like get married to your spouse and start you know, like finding other ways to 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 engage in relationships with other other people besides your spouse, like other if you're a man, other women besides your wife, uh, you certainly would want to cultivate that relationship. Well, how do you date your God, or how do you get with get to know your God? Well, you get to know him through the interaction that occurs by the Word and Spirit. So you go through this uh, through the covenant signs that He gives you. And so one thing is, every time you look at yourself, you see I am different. I am not like the world. I'm set apart, and that's why this. This sign, this bloody sign, actually—it's a surgery, it's a taking off of the foreskin. Abraham, it says in the, the thing was 99 when he received the sign. Uh, it's a—it's a horrible, bloody sac, uh, sur, uh, surgery for this, such a man. Well, anyway, he gets circumcised, and this sur- circumcision actually means the cutting away of the of filth or removal of the, removal of the filth. And what what's interesting is the New Testament—that's the same meaning essentially for baptism. And so what's interesting about baptism, it is, is not a bloody sign. What circumcision pointed for is a need of bloodshed to take away and remove the filth upon us. But what baptism does is it it pictures that through the through the pouring on or the or the uh, m- putting on of water, as we wash away filth with water. However, it's not a bloody uh, a bloody rite, right? right? Uh, you know. Like, water it's like a shower you know it's like a bath so why is that why can we come to God clean now it's because of the true baptism or the true circumcision Colossians two eleven through 12 go look that up it talks about how we are saved through a circumcision done without hands uh, the circumcision of Christ being buried with him in baptism this is the idea so the baptism of Christ saves us. His baptism, His being uh, absolutely destroyed for our salvation. So He took on our death so that we could be saved. So that's the true baptism. That's the true circumcision is what Christ did. And, our, and these signs are just pointing to it. The removal of the filth. In the Old Testament, we got bloody signs because we're looking toward the bloody sacrifice of Jesus. But in the New Covenant, after, after Christ, we look back to the sacrifice of and see that the signs are not bloody anymore because the blood has been shed his perfect blood and you know see Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek you see Melchizedek back in Genesis 14 you might be wondering why that's significant well Psalm one ten one and Hebrews 7 speak of Melchizedek Christ is like Melchizedek not like the Levitical priest or Aaron because he doesn't have to keep on offering sacrifices repeatedly you know, he doesn't he, he doesn't need another uh, another one after him. He doesn't need someone to offer sacrifices for him because once and for all he made the sacrifice that we needed and that God received and you see that because he's resurrected from the dead. God has received the sacrifice for the justification of his people. So that's what this is, what's going on here is a, a lot of great imagery about how we are connected to God, how we're justified. As you flip over to the New Testament, we'll just this is a brief cursory overview uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. We're on the first part of the greatest sermon in the world. I'll just point you know read one thing to you here. It says, "Love your enemies." You know, like, it's easy to love your friends, but love your enemies and pray for them. That's the way he wraps up his six antitheses. It says, "You've heard it said," and, you, and that's a key a key theme here. The six antitheses in, in the end of chapter five here, it says, "You've heard it said," but I say to you, and that's the thing. You've heard it said is not helpful. Like from what other people are saying, but what I say is this. What God says is this. And so you see Hagar try to come up with her own plan and disregard what God said, even though it was unlikely. It was improbable. And he says, you're going to be, no, you're going to be the father of many nations. So he changes his name from Abram to Abraham in Genesis 17. That's what we know him as Abraham, father of many nations. That's what that means. And so he, God calls him a new name. And we we say, you know, our way is different. We're we're set apart. We're 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 a holy people to God. We're his people. He's our God. And he says what you do is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And why is that? Well, we image our heavenly Father who is perfect, right? That's what we do. We image our heavenly Father who is perfect. It says it says you pray for those who persecute, persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. Think about that. How does our Father respond to us? Well, in, Gen- in Re- Romans 5, 6 through 8, it talks about how God demonstrated His love for us. And this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says before that, very rarely would a man die for a righteous man, but for the ungodly, God justifies the ungodly. That's us. We get to image God as we love and pray for those who hate us, who mistreat us, who we don't agree with and and, and don't understand us, as we show mercy to them, we show that saving mercy that we've received. And so take that, apply it today and tomorrow. God bless you. We'll see you next time.